back to the Past and Present Podcast. This is Kim Groves, hoping you have been having a lovely week. I also hope you enjoyed our devotional on the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. I hope you will continue to join me as we take a deep dive into one of the most comprehensive accounts of Christ's teachings recorded. Today, we conclude our talk on the question of if the Israelites conquered Jericho. As a refresher, we have already discussed the two main archaeological expeditions, one from John Garstang and another from Kathleen Kenyon, whose methodology was questionable, shall we say. Also, this week's talk is based off Bryant Woods' article in the March-April 1990 issue of Biblical Archaeological Review titled, Did the Israelites Conquer Jericho? A New Look at the Archaeological Evidence. Now, to continue where we left off, Kenyon was doing two things that were methodologically unsound, only excavating two 26-foot by 26-foot squares and drawing conclusions based on what was not found. Dr. Wood argues that rather than examining an absence of pottery, we should instead look at the abundance of ordinary domestic pottery that was found. Continuing with Kenyon's analysis, we learned she associated the destruction of City 4 with the expulsion of the Hyksos from Egypt in about 1570 BCE. Now, let me take a moment to talk about the Hyksos, and this is where kind of like uh, secular archaeology and biblical archaeology kind of all come together. So we may even at some point diverge off and talk about the Greeks and the Romans and um, the Egyptians and some other Middle Eastern uh, archaeology studies that connect to our Bible studies. So it, it may be worth diving into some Hyksos, um, the archaeology of the Hyksos. So they were a Semitic people who gained a foothold in Egypt initiating the Egyptian era known as the Second Intermediate Period and established power during the decline of the 13th Dynasty of the Middle Kingdom. Now when I say Semitic people, these the Hyksos were not connected to the uh, Jews that came in when Joseph was the administrator of Egypt. This is a completely different set of, of Semitic people. So, But they were a Semitic people um, so and they came to power during the, uh, the second intermediate period and established their, their um, power. Now, later Egyptian scribes of the New Kingdom demonized the um, Hyksos as invaders, but in reality they actually neatly assimilated themselves into Egyptian culture. Kenyon's analysis of the Hyksos being the means of destruction of cities four also has its problems. Now, she argues that not only was City 4 destroyed by the Hyksos, but other Middle Bronze Age Palestinian towns were also destroyed. Now, if you really think about this and dive into just using basic logic, not even an understanding of, of archaeology, you just have to have some common sense and understand invading armies, and we can use even more recent history as an indicator of this. Um... The Hyksos were fleeing the Egyptians, but it would make no sense for the Hyksos to destroy cities to which they were fleeing. So it would be like, you know, burning down your own house on your way to your house. It just doesn't make sense. Um, conversely, it would not have made sense for the pursuing Egyptian armies to destroy the city and everything in it, as the granaries were full, indicating the fall occurred after harvest. 
if the Egyptians were interested in conquering, they would have taken the grain stores, not burned them. So there was very a lot of heavy archaeological evidence indicating the granaries were actually full of grain. So this occurred, this burning of Jericho actually return, uh, came about after the harvest. So if, if someone's invading and ostensibly for food or, or power or whatever, well, you're going to take that grain. Why give up free food, essentially, is what's being offered to you. So the Egyptians wouldn't have, they may have burned the, the town, but they would have definitely taken all the grain with them or as much as they possibly could. The Hyksos, if they were fleeing the Egyptians, would not have burned a town that was right on the border, so to speak, and they wouldn't have burned the town. They would have probably worked to settle it or worked with the uh, the people of Jericho to actually integrate with them. So neither one, neither the Hyksos invading and destroying Jericho or the Egyptians invading and destroying Jericho makes any sense whatsoever. And this is just, like I said, from a logical standpoint, not from the understanding of, you know, any kind of deep archaeology. Um, finally, the Egyptians generally used a siege tactic when conquering cities. And when they sieged a city, they would surround it and basically choke it off. So the grain stores, if this had happened, if the Egyptians had attacked Jericho, they actually would have, the people of Jericho would have actually used their grain stores to sustain themselves for a siege. And we've, we've definitely determined that the fall of Jericho happened very quickly, um, and very, you know, brutally. So with all these facts, it's clear that Kenyans dating the fall of Jericho to the Middle Bronze Age is incorrect. So now we're going to switch gears and take a look at the evidence that supports Garstang's destruction date of 400 BCE or the end of the Late Bronze I era. Now there are four pieces of evidence to support his dating. The cer ceramic data stratigraphical considerations, scarab evidence, and finally a radiocarbon date. And I think radiocarbon dating is fascinating. Um, I remember when I first learned about it, I'm like, oh wow, you can really tell how old something is by dating radio, you know, um, charged uh, particles, carbon particles and things. So I thought that was so cool. Ironically, the best evidence to support Garstang's dating comes from excavations done by Kenyon. The pottery found that by Kenyon very clearly dates to the late bronze one period and not the middle bronze period. It had a limited lifespan in Cisjordan and was confined to the late bronze one period. And as I've talked about, pottery is very, very much a contemporary marker uh, of the times. Like things fall into and out of fashion in pottery as much as, as it does clothing and shoes and, and even hairstyles. Uh, the, 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 the ceramics, the plates my mother had 35, 40 years ago would not even be considered to be, you know, uh, modern now. Uh, but then again, in 25 or 30 years, my daughter will look at my China and go, mom, this is really old fashioned. And I even look at my own grandmother's China and say, it's classic, but it's definitely old fashioned. So again, pottery can be a marker of the age in which it's produced. Um, so um, when uh, so ironically, when where Kenyon said no imported pottery was found in the section of City Four where she dug, Garstang 
found by Chromeware decorated with red and black paint that appeared to be imported from Cyprus. In other words, this is the very pottery Kenyon was looking to find but could not. So the importance of this pottery was unknown when Garstang discovered it. Remember, he dug prior to Kenyon. Um, and it was just simply cataloged and noted and, and published without being really singled out. Um, according to Garstang's writings, the, import, the imported pottery came from a large structure located upslope that he referred to as the palace. Kenyon's excavation area was too far north to be in the runoff path for the palace. So basically in City 4, yes, Garstang found this pottery, but it wasn't quote unquote native to that neighborhood. It came from further up from a large structure that, like I said, Garstang referred to as the palace. Moving on to the stratigraphy of City 4, we find it related loosely to time. And I've talked about how stratigraphy can sort of indicate the age of something or when something um, was planted in that particular spot. Now, for all the faults in Kenyon's methodology, her careful excavation and documentation of the stratigraphy, we are able to document many different occupational phases, phases from 1650 BCE to 1550 BCE. So in all the other things that Kenyon may have done wrong, her stratigraphy was on point. She definitely, she marked out her stratigraphy, she labeled everything. Her, it, that was on point. And the thing is, if, if she had carried through that methodology, there she would have come to probably the same conclusions that Garstang did. So uh, Kenyon identified 20 different archaeological phases that encompass three major and 12 minor destructions. Now, if Kenyon were correct that City 4 met its end at the end of the Middle Bronze Age, then 20 phases would have been crammed into just 100 years, which is highly unlikely. It, it's, it would be impossible to, to cram that many phases into that short of a period of time. So the, it would just mean destruction after destruction after destruction. In other words, somebody wasn't being very careful. Another item of chronological significance is the discovery of a scarab sequence by Garstang. Again, uh, scarabs are small little beetle-shaped amulets with an inscription, sometimes with the name of a pharaoh, that's carved on the bottom. I remember in the 70s, um, scarab bracelets were a thing. I know my mother had one, and I'm pretty sure there's probably everybody at some point knew, has seen a scarab bracelet. Um, the continuous series of scarabs he recovered dated from the 18th century BCE, which is the 13th dynasty, to the early 14th century BCE, which is the 18th dynasty. Now, the 18th dynasty scarabs include four, four royal name scarabs, Hatshepsut, a female pharaoh, a female pharaoh, not a queen, a pharaoh, and she's fascinating. I'd love to do a whole talk on her. Tutmosis III, two with Amenhotep III, and an actual seal of Tutmosis III. Finally, one carbon-14 sample was taken from a piece of charcoal found in the destruction debris. It was dated to 1410 BCE, plus or minus 40 years. Now, carbon dating can't get, like, right on the year, but it can get reasonably close. And if you're talking, we're talking going back 1400 years before the modern era, and you can narrow it down to a 40-year span, that is on the nose. 
uh, more or less. This lends further support to Garstang's dating the destruction to the late Bronze I period and strengthening the biblical narrative. Now, when, as Sir Car Arthur Conan Doyle tells us, we eliminate the impossible, in this case that the Hyksos and Egyptians destroyed Jericho, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. The improbability in this case is that the Israelites must have destroyed Jericho. When we compare the archaeological evidence with the biblical account, we find remarkable similarities. When it is recorded that the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry land, we find that seismic activity in this region can actually cause the Jordan to stop up and not flow for several days, meaning there would be a place of dry land. Mudslides cutting off the Jordan have occurred in 1160, 1267, 1546, 1834, 1906, and 1927. And I want to stress all these years I just mentioned are common era years. Though Kenyon postulated there was no fortified city here during the late Bronze Age, there is actually significant evidence that she herself uncovered that indicated there was a city there during that. Her careful stratigraphic work uncovered the existence of an extensive fortification. This mall was made of mud bricks that came down during the final destruction of City 4. Kenyon postulates the pile of bricks came from the final collapse. When the bricks fell, they formed a convenient ramp for an attacker to surmount the wall. The wall collapse may have been caused by an earthquake, since there is evidence for earthquake activity at the end of the life of City 4. Now, the destruction of the city was complete. Kenyon mentions it in her writings that there, was, that there were indications of fire, walls collapsed, fallen debris was heavily burnt. The most abundant item found in the destruction was grain. If this was a raid situation or even a siege situation, the invading forces would have taken the grain or the grain would have been used to hold out against the siege. However, in the biblical account of the destruction of Jericho, the Israelites were instructed to destroy everything, including the grain. This four-pronged evidence package provides the most compelling evidence that Garstang accurately dated the destruction of Jericho to the late Bronze Age I. Well, I think that concludes our talk on Exhibit A in our discussion of when Jericho was destroyed and our first foray into archaeological nonsense, um, an argument that we're going to be continuing on the next couple of weeks. Join us Monday when we will discuss the, be uh, the Beatitudes. As always, I enjoy hearing from you. You can reach me at kimg.pastandpresentpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at, at podcast underscore past. We have our Facebook presence at Rebirth Network and Rebirth Encouraged, both with a purple heart between the words. Again, today's talk is from Bryant Woods' article that appeared in the March-April 1990 issue of Biblical Archaeological Review, titled, Did the Israelites Conquer Jericho? A New Look at the Archaeological Evidence. If you would like to read the article in full, you can read it at www.baslibrary.org. This is Kim Groves with the Past and Present Podcast, hoping you stay blessed and unstressed and unbothered by the rest. God 